worship it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And so certainly that, that's kind of what we have been doing here in the States for the last two years. We've been letting God uh, purge us and prepare us and prune us and, and to, to help us to go back in Thailand and, and, and for that second term, uh, help the branch that we are in, in the vine, abiding in Jesus Christ, to bear more fruit through the ministry than we have in the past. And we certainly uh, are very excited about that. I, I stopped this morning mentioning that, you know, in Thailand, it's a country of 70 million people, that there's only about 10,000 Christians uh, that would have enough knowledge to, to talk to a person intelligently about Jesus Christ. And, you know, we are church planning missionaries, and, and so we desire and we believe it's the biblical model to, in order to reach these people with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it is through a local church that that happens. And, and if you look at, on the map of Thailand there, those red areas are what's called um, uh, unreached areas of Thailand, which means that would have an, an, an area of, of less than one gospel witness per one million people uh, in those areas of Thailand. And so if you, if you look at uh, the, the pink areas of Thailand, I think that that's probably less than one in 100,000. Uh, so it's kind of a factor of 10 there. So if, if you look at the country of Thailand on that map, the red and the pink areas cover the majority of Thailand. Uh, probably of, of the 77 different provinces of Thailand, probably 50 of them have no church at all and, and probably have never had any kind of church at all. And you know, a lot of people that we meet, they are very ignorant, very uh, unlearned in anything we, we, uh, about Jesus Christ or about the true way of salvation. And, and you know, it's a, it's a place that desperately needs to hear about Jesus Christ. Because it's a place that is devoid of hope. They put their hope in idols. It is an idolatrous country. I think about Paul when he went to Athens. He, he looked around the city of Athens and he made an observation that it was a city wholly given to idolatry. You know, but I can tell you after living in Thailand for six years, it is a whole culture. It is a whole country, a whole society that is wholly given to idolatry. And, and, and they, these idols are truly what they put their hope and they put their trust in. I, and I want to take just a few minutes to kind of expose that to you and, and, and to help you to understand how much that it influences just about every part of their life and, and what they do with their idolatry. If you go to the next slide, um, one of the first things that a Thai person will do with their day is called the Takbat ceremony. And in the Takbat, what, what they do is that the Buddhist monks... Uh, are forbidden from having paying jobs. Uh, they are forced to be beggars, and so the only way that they get their food for every day is they go out about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, and they'll walk through the villages with, with the, the big pot that you see in those pictures. And, and, and they'll, as they go through the villages, uh, those that, that want good fortune or good luck for that day, they'll come out to the end of their driveway and wait at the end of their driveway with a small offering of food for the monk. And when the monk gets to their place of residence... Uh, they'll, they'll get down on their hands and knees and they pick up that, that, that bowl of food and they bow down to that Buddhist monk and offer him that food. And, and in response, the Buddhist monk will uh, chant, you know, a very demonic sounding chant, in uh, supposedly pronouncing a blessing on them for that day. You know, but the reality is in that situation that that's only good for today. If I want it tomorrow, i got to do the same thing again tomorrow. If I want it the day after that, i got to do the same thing the day after that. And they, and, they, and they do this faithfully and religiously every day. Go to the next slide. 
not, not only are they are, are very distinctly Buddhist in, in Thailand, they're also very distinctly animistic, or, or they worship the spirits, which is very common among pa- pagan cultures everywhere in the world. Even Native American culture uh, is, is very animistic. They worship spirits of the river, spirits of the ancestors. and So you'll find a lot of these things that are very similar in Thailand. And so another part of their morning routine is they'll go to their spirit house, which is an idol, either at their, their place of residence or perhaps at a place of business. Some, sometimes now with the modernization, they'll have one that is for their neighborhood. But they'll go to this idol and they'll take a, a gift of drink and an offering, or an offering of food and drink, and they'll bring it to this idol. And they, they, they offer it there, and then they take a stick of incense, and they light it between their fingers, or they put it between their fingers, and they light it, and they say their prayers to the spirits. And they're faithful at doing this. You know, it gives Thailand a very distinct aroma. If you walk around Thailand early in the morning, yeah, you'll find a very distinctive aroma of incense. Uh, and and it, it, it's sometimes disconcerting as you're sitting there in the morning trying to study your Bible, and here they are chanting their, their lies, and you're smelling their incense coming in through your window in the morning. And it, it's somewhat heartbreaking to understand how much trust, how much hope that they put in these inanimate objects. They do this every day of their life. You know, one of the, the things that's interesting to me, a lot of Thai Christians that you talk to uh, and, and you get in conversations with them and find out, you know, one of the things that motivated them really to start looking for something different in their life is that these prayers that they say every day are in, 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 in the Brahmin language. That they're not in the language that their heart understands. They're, they're in words that they're taught to repeat, but they actually have no idea what these words mean at all. And a lot of Thai Christians say, certainly there's got to be something that we can know about what we are doing. I don't have to just do what somebody has told me, you know, this is the words that you say and that'll work. It's not just a magical incantation based upon, you know, some archaic language. There's got to be something more real to this. And you know what, there is. You know, and, and that's why we go to Thailand, go to the next slide. You know, and, and not only does it have a, a great effect in their morning routine, but it also has a great effect in, in several different aspects of their life. Uh, as a small business owner, as they go in and just to open their business for the day, there's an idol there, the one that's in the blue and red background. It's called a nankwak. It's an idol that they'll say a prayer to when they open up their small business, hoping to get customers into their business today, for that day. You know, this is actually an idea that is cross-cultural. How, how many of you have ever been to a Chinese restaurant and see the cat sitting on the, on the counter waving its arm back and forth? That's not just a decoration. Within the Buddhist religion, that is actually an idol. That is a Chinese representation of this Thai nanguak. So you see her hands up there like that, beckoning the customers in. And this is part of their idolatry that they participate in on a regular basis. Uh, they, 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 they put it on their apparel. The guy that's holding one in his hand, you know, they, they wear that as, as charms or as amulets or as uh, talismans or lucky charms that, that they, they put on their person. And it, it's interesting, you know, the, the richer you are, the more that you have. I've seen pictures, seen guys, you know, that they've got 10 or 12 of these things all strung out and these ornate, I mean, and you look at them, they're gold and, and, and precious gems and they're, they spend a lot of money and invest in a lot of money in, 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 in pursuit of this idea of good luck in their life, or this fortune that they have in their life. Uh, there, the, the guy in the top uh, right hand there, he's actually selling another form of idol, 
And you'll, you'll buy that and you'll put it on your rearview mirror. They're made out of jasmine flowers and they smell absolutely amazing. But what they do is then they, they'll say a pray, prayer, to, I don't know what, the spirit of cars, the spirit of driving, but they say a prayer to some spirit to help them be safe as they drive. And, and this is the thing that they really and truly put their hope and put their trust in. You know, but you would, you would think that just the, the common sense of life would at some point illuminate them and help them to understand that, hey, this is pointless. Thailand has the second worst uh, country in the world for traffic fatalities. I mean, they're absolutely dangerous, ridiculously dangerous drivers there. I mean, whenever you take a trip across country, it is almost inevitable that you will see a fatal accident somewhere in your journey. They're, they're, they're crazy drivers. They don't have police that can stop you when you do wrong. Uh, the police are only at fixed checkpoints, and so the, in the Thai people's mind, that they know where those checkpoints are, and so outside of that checkpoint, they'll do whatever they want to. If that means drive 200 miles an hour down the road, swerving in and out, and if that means making five lanes out of a two-lane road, they'll do it. And then they don't care. You know, you know I, I have good luck. I, I, I bowed to my monk this morning. I said my prayers to the spirits this morning. I have this thing hanging here in my rearview mirror. I, I'm okay. I'll be all right. And that truly is the hope that they have. You know, it, it even affects some, some significant things in life. Thailand has a very high rate of C-section birth. And, you know, in, in learning about the Thai culture, learning about the Thai people, I, one of the things I learned is that when a husband and wife are getting ready to d deliver a baby, they'll actually go down and sit down with a Buddhist monk because they are they're practitioners of the astrology of the, the Chinese zodiac. And, and they'll actually go and sit down and, and, and consult with the monk and ask the monk, well, what's the luckiest day for our baby to be born? I don't know how in the world he does it. Perhaps he tests the wind. <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> so they, they, but they literally take that information, and, and this is true. After asking them, you know, is this a true statement? And they say, well, yeah, a lot of times that is true. They'll actually take that information, go to their physician, and say, we want a C-section on this day because it's going to make our child lucky. You know, it, 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 it's I, I didn't understand it for a while. In, in Thailand, we, we had two sons born in Thailand. And as, as we go around and talk to people, it's inevitable that seeing blonde-haired, blue-eyed children is just a very rare occurrence for them. Uh, they, see the, they see our children, they do two things. One, they come up and want to rub their skin. <laughs> they want to rub their pale skin. And the second thing that they want to do is they want to take a picture with them. And, uh, but you're talking to them and you say, well, well, both of our boys were born in Thailand and our, our girls were born in America. And they say, oh, Thailand has made you so lucky. And I thought, well, you know, as a, as a, from a Christian perspective, I have four healthy children. I'm blessed of God. I'm not lucky. <laughs> but I, I learned why is that um, for a, uh, a family to have a son that become, goes to become a Buddhist monk is great extra credit in the afterlife and their system of reincarnation, and their system of rebirth, and their, their religion based upon works, to have a son who becomes a Buddhist monk is, 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 is quite uh, prosperous, or uh, what, what the word I'm looking for is. And so to, to see that Thailand has given us two sons, they think, wow, you're, you're, you're greatly blessed in Thailand. You're very lucky in Thailand because you can force those 
children to become Buddhist monks. And a lot of them uh, make their children do that, right, right about 8, 10 years old. And they'll actually make them go and become a Buddhist monk for you know, two or three weeks. I guess that's enough time to give them the credit that they need for their, for their future incarnation, for their future life. And, you know, but if you ask me, you know, when would be the time that you would reveal what really means something to you? That would be at, at your funeral. At a funeral. You know, at a funeral, you can go ahead to the next slide if you want to. At a funeral, that is when we boil things down to, hey, what is absolutely most important that we are trying to give to encourage those that have been left behind. So, as gospel preachers, we, we don't ever try to do a funeral without you know, preaching the gospel at that funeral. We must help, help the people to understand, hey, the real hope is in Jesus Christ. And if you want to have eternal life, if you want to, if you want to live in heaven, you must, must know Jesus Christ. And you must uh, follow the Bible way of salvation. And so we, we take very, very, uh, go to great lengths at, at a funeral to make sure that that happens. Well, these four signs are at a Buddhist funeral. And these four signs are, are four tenets or four teachings of Buddhism that, that they give at a funeral to try to give the families hope and try to give the families encouragement uh, about their love, lost loved one. The first one says, Bye, my glop, which means go and never return. The second one says, Foon my me, there is no resurrection. The, the third one says, which means sleep and never wake. And the fourth one says, Ni my pon, which means you can run, but there is no escape. You know, and we know these things to be in, in direct contradiction to Scripture. There is a resurrection. Every person that has ever had life has a resurrection coming to them. Whether the resurrection of the just or the resurrection of the unjust, Hey, everyone is going to come up out of the grave to stand before God Almighty, to stand before their Creator. And, and within their religion, you know, many of them, uh, in this cycle of reincarnation, I, I've gotten a conversation with them and asked them, well, who determines if you go up the cycle or down the cycle? And they shrug their shoulders. I don't know. They don't know. So how can that give a person hope? How can that really give a person hope? And that kind of leads me right in, in, into the sermon tonight that I, that I want to share with you this evening. You know, as Bible-believing Christians, one of the most precious treasures that we have is hope. We actually have a real and verifiable and sustainable, and can I say this evening, an incorruptible hope. We have an incorruptible look, look with me in, in, in 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter, we'll be looking at there this evening. The book of 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about this. You know, and, and certainly, as you even look in our own country right now, and you, and you look in, in a lot of the major cities and look at what's going on, we can see that there is a, a real lack of, of true hope in our society today. You know, if there was real hope in, in, in the future of society, I don't think a person would find it necessary to go and, and bust out the window of a bank to try to just get a few dollars for a few days before they catch me and put me in prison. If there's some real hope, that that person truly knew the hope of Jesus Christ, they wouldn't find it necessary to 
burn and to loot and to riot and to create this civil unrest that we see. We wouldn't find so many people that are so distraught and so just torn apart by the, by the, the COVID virus if they had a real hope. You know, Thai people are, are, are suffering with, with this also. They're shut down like we are here. And, and you know, and, and it's sad to see that uh, all of the, their, their Buddhist idols and all the things that they put their hope in has done absolutely nothing for them. They're, they're, they're in the same boat as the rest of us. They are without hope. But, but look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope. A lively hope. It's not a hope that we have for a while then fades as the flower of the grass when the sun beats on it and when troubles get th- come to our life and when situations get bad and, 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 and when we face tribulations and trials and difficult things in our life, does our hope evaporate? No, we have a lively hope. We have a hope that has... has sustaining life, one that can continue, that whatever happens to us, whatever comes to us in our life, there's a hope there that says, hey, you know what? There's a better tomorrow. There's something better than this. Yes, this Buddhist monk lied to me. Said to have a C-section on Tuesday. We had a C-section on Tuesday and my child died. My hope is destroyed. No, we believe in God. We believe that if, if, if God takes one of your children before time, hey, it, it's, with, it's with God. David understood that. He said, he can't come to me, but I can go to him when he lost an infant son. You know, we have a true hope in Jesus Christ, a lively hope that no matter what happens, hey, that hope is there. Let's read that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We have hope in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of those, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of religions that, that don't necessarily teach that you have a secure and incorruptible and lively hope. You have dreams, you have wishes, you have hope so's, you have think so's, you have, well, I'm working to try to earn it. But there's really nothing secure, there's no hope, there's no real source of hope that says, you know what, I know that this is true. I have a true and definite hope for the future. The Thai people are devoid of this hope. But is that not what we are? Are we not ministers of reconciliation? Are we not ministers of hope? Are we not ministers of those to try to bring hope to those that know no hope? That's what we are. Let me help you this evening and to help you to understand that our hope is an incorruptible hope. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be taken away. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is, is, cannot be, it's incorruptible. And, and I find three things in, in this first chapter that prove to us that our hope is incorruptible. The first thing that, that I think proves to me that my hope is incorruptible is that I've been bought with an incorruptible price. Look with me in verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed or bought back from the devil, your father, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your fame 
from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as His purchased possession, as His redeemed possession, there's absolutely nothing that can ever change that. Now when we talk about the world's financial system, we talk about the world's system of gold and silver and precious resources that we use in trade for goods and services, hey, that's a very corruptible system. You know, that's something as as missionaries that we watch very carefully. We watch the exchange rate. You know, as as some people watch the stock market, we watch the exchange rate. You know, and if if the American dollar is strong and the Thai dollar or the Thai bot is weak, we're thinking, hallelujah, we're going to get to eat some macaroni and cheese this month, which is $2 a box in Thailand. <laughs> so that's a luxury item to us. Macaroni, craft macaroni and cheese. We're like, woohoo, we're going to get to eat good this month. Hey, but when the American dollar is weak and the Thai bot is strong, well, we're, we're having some rice this month, honey. We're going to have to cut back a little bit this month, honey. Why? Because the money that I had that was able to purchase the the good things last month, that same amount of money that I'm getting this month that isn't able to purchase the same thing anymore. You know, and that's very much the world's system of hope. That's the hope that that they offer you. Many people put their hope in in chemical substances. And we're not just talking about the the gutter-dwelling drug addicts that are hooked on the heroin and crack and and all those things. No, I'm talking about those that go see their psychologist every month for that prescription. I'm not not disregarding that there's sometimes legitimate medical needs, and and I'm not here to debate that subject. But I'm telling you, I think there's a lot of people that depend upon chemical substances to give them hope, to give them what they need to to face tomorrow, to give them hope to, to get past today. I need that medicine. I need that pill. Or, or I, I, need that, I, need that, I need that lucky strike at the casino. And they trust in these things. And that is their hope. But let me tell you, that system is very corruptible. What, what, what gave you that high today is not going to give you that high tomorrow. You're going to need bitter, bigger and better and more. And you know what once gave you that little glimmer of hope tomorrow, that same thing is not going to give you that hope. You, can't, you find that you can't purchase the same amount of hope with the same amount of dollars. Why? Because it's corruptible. Silver and gold is corruptible. But you know what? That, that what purchased us is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is absolutely incorruptible. That is incorruptible. What does that mean? That it was one price was paid, and that one price that was paid is good for all. You know, say many people believe in, in, in their false system of hope and in their, in their corrupted system of hope. They think, well, I, I have a hope in Jesus Christ one day, but I messed up today. What be, what's going to happen tomorrow? That's not the hope that Jesus Christ offers. It's an incorruptible hope. It, never can the devil go back and say, hey, well, you paid me some. I need the rest. You paid me some of your blood for those sins that he committed in the past. But you know what? This week... He said a curse word. He had an evil thought. He said something bitter to his wife. He did something in his life that, that, that doesn't honor you. That doesn't reflect the character that you want him to show. Hey, I need some more money. You owe me some more money because look at that son of yours. Look at that child of yours. And he says, no, no, no. My blood covers all. 
That one price was paid for all. It's good to cover everything. I purchased him wholly and completely. And never can you demand more from me. It's an incorruptible price. And that's what has purchased us as God's children. He purchases us. He redeems us. And that's incorruptible. Doesn't that give you a little bit of hope? Like he preached this morning, you can't unsun a son. We are God's children. He has purchased us. He had bought us. And that, that price is incorruptible. It cannot be tarnished. It cannot be changed. You know, not only that, the second thing that I see that we, we, we are, I have an incorruptible hope because I've been bought with an incorruptible price. Second thing, I, I have an incorruptible hope because I've been, I've been taught with an incorruptible seed. I've been taught with an incorruptible truth. And look in verse 23. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Consider this. We, we are living in the midst of a time in, in my life that is unprecedented with the, the COVID virus and everything that has happened and just how the whole world has just fallen on their knees to, to those that are empowered and say, hey, this is what you've got to do. Oh, yes, sir. I mean, it is, it is scary to me to see that. But, you know, in, in reality, when you stop to think about what this is, there have been times in the past when things have been uh, significantly bad just like this. Think about the Black Plague in Europe that covered all of Europe. I mean, and, and, and didn't kill just thousands, but killed millions upon millions of people across the whole continent. Think about the days in our own country, not, not even you know, 100 years ago through the Great Depression where, when people stood in long lines not even sure if they were going to get a piece of bread to eat. Certainly we, we are in unprecedented times and we're in, in, in very discouraging times, but if you look in past, there have been times that have been a lot worse than it is right now. We, we still don't, we're still out of the place where we're having to fear soldiers coming to our house and, and walking to our kitchens and looking in our cupboards and taking anything and everything that they want from our homes. Hey, you know, things have, have been worse in the past. You know what? The reality is, hey, things are going to get worse in the future too. You know what? But the Word of God is sure. Understand that... that the, 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 the formation of our country, the foundation of our country was built upon Jesus Christ, was built upon God. Don't let, don't let the, the liberals and, and, and the God-haters lie to you. Our country was built upon Bible principles. Our country was built upon the Word of God. And, and, and even though they, they, they faced those dark times, even though they faced that, that hopeless, seemingly hopeless time, there was a hope that pushed them forward and kept them in the battle until they won and we were able to sign the Declaration of Independence and say, hey, we are our own country. And God blessed that. God honored that and helped us to be a nation, the, the, the first nation in history to truly recognize religious freedom. Hey, there is hope. Why? Because of the Word of God. The Word of God is there. Hey, but, but before... Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. The Word of God was in heaven. It was already settled. It was already there. 
Do you know what hope that they needed? They needed hope in the Word of God and in the promise of God that you know, one day we're going to send a Redeemer to, to help you recover from that sin that you've just done. When He came to Moses on the mountain of Sinai and gave him the commandments, gave him the, the, the first five books of the Bible, and, and all the promises about Abraham and all the hope that we, we find in, in those books, you know, Moses had hope. The Israelites had hope in the middle of the wilderness. Why? Because of the Word of God. Paul and Timothy sitting in a jail in Philippi looking like in, in, in a hopeless situation, but they yet they had the Word of God. And the Word of God gave them hope. The Word of God didn't change. It was the same yesterday, today, and forever. They had it. Even in, our, in the early days of our country as it, True Bible believers and true Baptists were persecuted even in the shores of this continent were put in prison for preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They had hope. Why? Because they had the Word of God. Let me remind us, as we look around in the situation that we're in right now, it seems very hopeless. It seems very discouraging. It seems very difficult. But you know what? We still have the Word of God. And then in the Word of God that, that, that Paul was able to look to and give him hope to continue to go to the next town and to go to the next town and I don't care if they beat me. I don't care if they put me in prison. prison I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and I'm going to keep going. Why? Because I have hope. What? Where does that come from? It comes from the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. You know, understand that everything that we see right now is going to be gone. One day. I mean, the, the, the scientists like to talk about global warming. I believe in global warming. <laughs> I do. I, Peter, Peter tells us that, hey, that all the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. Now, now I mean, I, I, I studied a little bit of nuclear physics in the Navy, and so I know a little bit about that. So I have a personal belief on that, that, that God is going to melt everything down to the atomic level. So that now everything based upon protons, neutrons, and electrons, God says, I'm going to melt those things and they're going to be something completely different. There's going to be something completely new. Understand that it's not just the earth, that the heavens also is God's going to redo. Even heaven where God sits right now is tainted by sin. That's where the devil says, I will be like the most high God. And he had to be kicked out of heaven because he, he rebelled against God. And God said, you know, I'm going to remake that too. All of it. It's going to melt with a fervent heat. But you know what's not going to change? You know what's not going to be redone? The Word of God. Millions upon millions upon millions of years in the future, when we're there with our Savior, and we, and, and we, and we get to enjoy that eternal fellowship, you know what is going to be our hope? You know what is going to be our joy? You know what is going to be our rock and our, our stability? It's the truth of God's Word. It's still going to be there. Hey, no matter what happens in life, hey, if I can go to this Word, if I can open it up and look into it and apply it to my life, you know what I'll find? I'll find the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus says. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. Hey, if, if, if situations ever become dark in life, you know what? We have an incorruptible Word. And those of us that truly believe in Jesus Christ, truly believe in the God that has inspired and preserved His Word for every generation, for us today. And we look at that and we believe that to be the King James Bible. We look at that. 
we can find the same hope that Moses had, that Paul had, that John on the Isle of Patmos had, that every Christian that has preceded us has remained faithful to God and had a good testimony for Jesus Christ. Why? Because they found hope in the pages of God's Word. And it doesn't change. What He did for them, He'll do for us. It's based upon an incorruptible Word. Let me tell you the third thing this evening is what we already read. I've been bought with an incorruptible price. I've been taught with an incorruptible seed. And third, I'm kept by an incorruptible power. I'm kept by... Look, that's what we read in verse 3-5. through five. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. There is nothing that can ever happen in life that does not have to go through God's filter. If you don't believe me, I challenge you to go read the book of Job sometime. Job probably had one of the worst of any man alive and the things that happened in his life. And if you read the conditions about what happened, he lost absolutely everything. He lost his health, he lost his family, he lost his houses, he lost his lands. He went from a rich man to a man that was only allowed to stay outside of the city because of his sores that he had. He was an outcast. He lost it all. But that all had to go through the filter of God. The devil had to come to God and get permission from God to be able to afflict Job in his life. Why? Because Job was kept by the power of God. Now, does that mean that we're going to escape all bad situations in life? No, absolutely not. Job said it, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Every one of us are going to have problems. Every one of us are going to have difficulties. Every one of us are going to have situations that's going to tempt us to take our eyes off of God and start to look around what's going on around us. I mean, actually, go ahead and look at verse 6. It says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what? Every once in a while, things are going to look bad. And if we start to look at those things that look bad and start to concentrate on those things, we're going to start to feel in that heaviness. We're going to start to feel that it feels a little bit hopeless in our life. But understand that even, even in our error, even in our wrong perception of what's going on, God still keeps us. We are still kept by the power of God. There's a lot of people that, that, that put their hope in, in government. In the power that is government. But, hey, open our eyes. Do you think that the greatest government in this earth today is incorruptible? Be aware that we are only a step from socialism. We are only a, a mere step from communism. From those things that our country has fought against for, for almost 50, 60, 70 years now. Hey, we're at the very doorstep of embracing that in our own country through our government. That great government that we put our trust in, that we look to is for hope, hey, it's, about, it's corrupted. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But it's corrupted. Even the good guys are corrupted. 
You know, I mean, a, a godly man in government these days is very hard to find. Very rare. Even our President Trump, I, I thank the Lord for him. I think he's done great things for our country, and I think he's done great things for Christians in our country. You know, but he's still a sinner, just like you and me. You know, he's still probably benefiting greatly on his, in his own financial portfolio from being the president. And he's probably not trying to put that back either. Men desire wealth. The love of money is the root of all evil. And, and, and you have to understand that the powers that be in this world, they certainly are corruptible. But the power of God is incorruptible. There's no power greater than God Himself. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, He says, I am the beginning, the end, Alpha and Omega. He was and is and shall be. And I love the word at the end of that verse. He says, the Almighty. Almighty. That means there is no might greater than the Almighty. He is Almighty. And that is the God that keeps us. That's the God that says, you're mine. He's, he's the God of all jealousy. He's the God that says, no, you're mine. I'm jealous of what's mine. And I'm certainly not going to anybody take what's mine. This is mine. We are kept by that power of God. Hey, it doesn't matter what happened in the world around us. We are, we have hope in Jesus Christ. And I, I hope that this evening you understand that hope and you've tasted that hope and, and you can identify with what I'm saying tonight that, oh yes, I see and I experience. I understand that hope that you're talking about tonight. It's a good thing. If, if you don't understand that hope, I, I want you to. Please don't go home not understanding what that is. But as a mission sermon, I want to challenge you with something. I hopefully I build a foundation. Hopefully I, I give you a great picture of, of one of the, the greatest blessings that God has given us as Bible-believing Christians. But let me tell you something. This hope that God gives us should change us. Should do something to us. This hope makes us different. The hope that we have, not is it just different because it's peculiar from anything that the world has, this hope that we have makes us different because it changes something on the inside. It makes us a different kind of person. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4 the, toward the end of this, this book. We start in verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. He says, Look, time is getting close. The night is at hand when no man can work. The, night, the, 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 the season is coming very soon when everything in this world will be truly hopeless. When God comes to claim His children out of this world and He calls them up and He opens up the graves and those that have, are asleep in Jesus Christ are, are resurrected and those that are alive and rain, remain are caught up together with Him in the clouds to forever be with the Lord. Hey, what's left behind is truly going to be a hopeless world. Hey, the night is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Hey, we have a responsibility. If we have that hope, we have a responsibility. To something different in us. And the first thing that I see, and I talked about it in Sunday school this morning, those that have the hope of Jesus Christ are going to be prayer warriors. Those are going to, they're going to be people of prayer. Why? Because, hey, He's the one that gives me the hope. And so whatever situation I find myself in that I need that hope, I'm going to get that hope by going to Him and asking Him for that hope. 
and asking Him to communicate to me, asking Him to, to give me the hope that I need in my life. We're going to be people of prayer. Let me ask, how much do you, hope do you really have if you don't even talk to Him? I mean, that, that is the death of many relationships. Because they never communicate to each other. Why don't they communicate to each other? Because they have no hope that this relationship is going to work. There's no hope. And so because there's no hope, they, 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 they leave off communicating with each other. When they leave off communicating with each other, it drives a wedge and surely it is, is the end. It is the end of hope for that relationship. Hey, those of us that have tasted it know the incorruptible hope of Jesus Christ should be people of prayer. Not only that, we should be people uh, of love. Look in verse 8. It says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. You know, it, it, it's, it's interesting to have been traveled the world with the military and you know, talk to missionaries all the time. And One of the things that's unique about biblical Christianity is that we serve a God of love, which most of the world's religions do not. They serve a religion of fear. The Thai people, as they're worshiping these idols to the spirits, uh, they're doing that out of fear. Because they believe that if we don't do this, that evil spirit is going to come to my home. It's going to take my children. It's going to destroy my house. It's going to set my house on fire. It's actually going to do physical damage to me and my life because I haven't worshipped the spirit. It's a religion of fear. But you know, hey, we, have a, we are a religion of love. We serve a God that loves us, and our God commands us to love others. He even commands us to love our enemies. That's a commandment of God. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, it's not a uh, perhaps. No, it's a command of God. Love your enemies. God, we, we serve a, a, a God of love. And, and those of us that have tasted the hope that is in Jesus Christ want to love others. Do you, do you love others? You know what I also find in looking at verse 9. It says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. You know what? Those that have tasted the hope in, in their life are going to be liberal in their sacrifice to help others. They're going to be liberal in the things that they do to try to help other people. Not to help themselves. That's what the liberal movement is today. They're trying to help themselves. Let me tell you, uh, liberal people in the Bible are those that give, not those that want to receive. And in those of us that have tasted the hope that is in Jesus Christ, we're going to find in us a desire to give to someone, to help someone, to, to take what we have, be it our time, be it, be it our, be even, our, even our energies, even our desires, even, even our, our communication, you know, to, to be empathetic with someone that's going through a hard time and just put our shoulder around them. You know, it takes a measure of hospitality. It takes a measure of giving. It takes a measure of sacrifice to invest your emotions in that person that's going through a hard time. But that's what the hope of Jesus Christ does to a person. It also makes us people of witnessing. Look at verse 10. It says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What is the grace of God? If I had to, to sum up the grace of God in one thought, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the grace of God. For by grace are you saved, for by Jesus Christ are ye saved through faith. 
You know, I think sometimes grace is, is, is sometimes mis- mistakenly put together with mercy. And they're, they're very similar in ideas, but grace and mercy are, are, are two different things. Grace is, is giving us something that we don't deserve. Mercy is withholding something that we do deserve. But as, as, as the children of God, those that believe in Jesus Christ, we have the grace of God. This hope, this precious gift that is given us, the hope that is in Jesus Christ, is a, is a gift that is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, and it is something that we did not earn, we did not merit, and it is something we did not deserve, but God chose to give it to us. But, as He told His disciples, freely ye have received, freely give. Those that have tasted of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ are going to have a desire to share that hope with someone else. He says, be faithful ministers of this gift. Share it with someone else. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about this. And it is a very interesting principle as it is connected to our hope. You know, there it gives a principle that, you know, a single cord is easily broken, right? If I have one piece of thread, I could break that piece of thread pretty easily, right? So many people in their life, they have a hope in Jesus Christ. They know they've, been, they've sat in church and they, they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe the, the teaching of the Bible. They believe the truth that they find in the Word of God. They understand the blood of Jesus Christ. They understand these things. They really do have a hope. But yet, that hope is just between me and Him. But let me, let me help you to understand that when you're in that situation, it's easy for that single cord to be broken. Think about Abraham. As he left Ur of the Chaldees and got to the land of Canaan, he had hope. He had hope in God because he followed him by faith into a new land that God was going to show him hereafter. But he got there and all alone started looking this way, looking that way. Hey, there's no food to eat. What do I need to do? I've lost hope in the God that led me here. I need to go down to Egypt and get help from them. Even Abraham, the father of faith, was, when he was the single point source of hope in his life, fell into a, a, a time of discouragement. Think about all the time that people got alone and how they got discouraged. Elijah, alone, discouraged. There's a lot of those that, that when they isolated themselves and they didn't include that hope and share that hope with the others around them, you know, they, they, they got got introspective and got somewhat hopeless, feeling hopeless in their life. But that principle teaches that, hey, two, two-fold cord is stronger than one. So you know, if you have two people, two pieces of string together, it's actually going to have more than two times the strength of, of one piece of string. So if you reckon by numbers, this one has two and this one has two, you put it together and it has six. That's the biblical principle that we're talking about. Alright? And so, when, when I'm able to take the, the hope that I have in Jesus Christ and to share it with someone else and to see that person embrace that hope of Jesus Christ in their life, you know what? That, that increases my hope. That increases the hope that I have. Why? Because in the, in the future, when situations get tough, when, when times get tough and, and you're stuck here in the United States and, and that person that you've led to the Lord and, and have baptized and, and discipled is in Thailand, hey, you know, you're still able to encourage each other. You know, so when I'm, when I'm discouraged and thinking, man, all these churches shut down and canceled my meetings, what am I going to do? 
She says, hey, can you, can you preach for us here in Thailand? Since everybody's using the internet now, why don't you just preach for us and then send it over here to us in Thailand? What is that? I was able to share the hope with someone. And when times got tough, they are able to share it back. I've increased my hope because I shared it with someone else. And it goes on to give us an even greater principle, a greater understanding of this principle that a threefold cord is not easily broken. The more that you share this hope with others, the stronger that that hope becomes, exponentially stronger that that, that, that hope becomes. So let me ask you this evening, have you tasted the hope that is in Jesus Christ? Are you still like that young rich ruler that came to Jesus and fell down and, Master, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? He didn't have hope. He still had questions. He still had doubts. He didn't have the hope. And he came to Jesus, hey, what can I do to get this hope? You've been around. You know about Jesus, but do you still haven't ever tasted of the hope that is in Jesus Christ? Don't be ashamed. I've been there. I grew up in a Christian home. Didn't get saved until I was 28 years old. After I'd already started Bible college. Until after my wife put me in my place and when she came to me one Sunday night and said, David, I need to get saved. I thought, what? What are you talking about? You've been a missionary. You went to Bible college. You have a clean and pure testimony. What do you mean you need to get saved? I've never trusted in Jesus Christ. She didn't have the hope that was in Jesus Christ. Because why? Because she put all her trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you've never tasted that hope, don't, don't go another day without understanding what that hope is. But let me ask you this. For those of us that have tasted of that hope, are, are we aware of those without hope? Those pictures that I showed you tonight, I did that on purpose. Why? To help you to understand is a very real fact that there are people in this world without hope. You know, it's not just people in saffron robes, 12 time zones away. It's people in jeans and a t-shirt that live 20 feet away that are without hope. It's people that we meet at Walmart that are without hope. You know what? It might be even people that we meet at church that are without hope. Do we ever share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ with someone else? Hey, he's, he, he tells us here, those that have tasted of that hope, those that have understand that great gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ, have a desire to give it to someone else. And that's what we do in time. That's why we're going there. Why? Because they are hopeless. They'll never figure it out on their own. Unless someone can, can share the hope with them. Hopefully it's been an encouragement to you. Hopefully it's been a challenge to you this evening that, that, hey, do you have that hope? And if you have that hope, when's the last time you shared that hope with someone else? We need to do that, especially in, in, in day and age that we live right now. Uh, he, he wanted me to kind of open up for questions a little bit. If, if anybody has a question or anybody have a question or you just want to come up to the altar and talk to God. <laughs> Amen. I probably need to. Amen. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's have the pianist come. And, you know, it, 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 the, the day and age that we live in, if we look around us, there's a lot of people that need hope. 
You know, I, I, I'm constantly challenged with the thought every time that I see something on the news that somebody did something bad. I think to myself, is that, is that my fault? I remember about a year ago, down in El Paso, Texas, the guy that went in and shot up a bunch of people in, in the Walmart down there. You know, I remember thinking when I saw that news, I, I wonder if that's my fault. Because obviously if someone had come to him and shared with him effectively the hope that is in Jesus Christ, he wouldn't have found the need to take a gun into a crowded place and shoot a bunch of people. Perhaps there was someone in possession of the hope of Jesus Christ that fell at their job, that failed at their job, and it was their responsibility to witness to that young man. It was their responsibility to share the hope that is in Jesus Christ with them, but perhaps because of ignorance, perhaps because of laziness, or whatever the case may be, that they neglected their responsibility, and because they neglected their responsibility, that young man went on to, to kill people. Hey, that's a very real... Understand, I'm not... It's not that's a very real possibility. What is the hope for people like that? It's not government programs. It's not reform in prison. Prison time isn't going to help them. Prison time is going to make them worse. You know what's going to help them? You know what's going to give them the, the, the change that they need in their life? Those that have the hope of Jesus Christ. You know, we, we have that responsibility. Are we failing at that responsibility? Is it my fault that these things are happening? You know, I think about that rich young ruler that I talked about. Oh man, I better, I better shut it back down. I'm getting worked up again. <laughs> but I think about that rich young ruler, and, and Jesus told him, says, you know, one thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest. He says, go and sell all that thou hast and give, give to the poor. And thou shalt have him treasure in heaven. And, and that one thing was what was stood between him and, and having that, that assurance of eternal life, having the hope that is in Jesus Christ. But in, you know, thinking about that, I thought to myself, you know, as I go out to my mailbox, and as I collect my mail out of my mailbox, and I look to the neighbor on this side, and I look to the neighbor on this side, have I witnessed to that person? Could I be the one thing in that person's life? That if I would submit to what God wants from me and just go simply share with Him what God wants from Him, could I be the one thing that stands in between Him and eternal life? Could I be the one thing that stands between Him and understanding the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Perhaps He just needs to see my hope. Now, this is what missions is all about. is being aware of that being conscious of that, and having compassion as Jesus Christ did to look on Him and to love Him. And say, you know what? There's that one thing, but I can at least tell you what it is. We all have one thing. What is it? As the pianist plays, we bow our head and close our eyes.